0: Welcome to the High Impact Man Podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs.
1: Well, here we go with another episode of the High Impact Man Podcast. We're really happy uh, to tell you that we uh, we have a really great guest today. He definitely is a high impact man. Uh, this guy, his name is Danny Stokes, and he he served our country for many years um, in the military. We're going to find out about that and just his uh, his personal uh, path of of trying to make himself better, achieve excellence, and bring other men along. And, uh, and as a leader and so uh, that's what makes him a high impact man and we're gonna get into uh, all of that with him shortly uh, my name is nevin gorky i'm the host of the high impact man podcast my uh, nickname in f3 is Fib. i'm joined as always by my co-host troy Klinger, otherwise known as dial up dial up you ready for another one
0: i'm ready for another one
1: i don't even what number are we at spielberg do you know
0: putting him on the spot 31?
1: 31 wow 31, 31 nice. points. Really? That yeah. many? Seems just like we started yesterday.
0: It does. Yeah.
1: Seems like yesterday. But it's great.
0: They get better every week. Maybe <laughs> yeah. not better, but just one great story after another, one though. So story. we're it's, looking
1: it's looking forward to this one. It's been a definite blessing to get to know the guys that we've had on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I gave you a little bit of an introduction uh, to Danny Stokes. He's known as F3 Linus, but he's also known as Cadre Danny. Now, so, dude, I don't know what to call you. Should I call you Cadre Danny? Should I call you Cadre? Should I call you Danny? Should I call you Linus? What should I call you?
2: Just call me Danny. Don't call me late for dinner. All right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but it's old That's and it's been around for a while. line from 80s TV, I think. That's right.
0: Can't wait to hear the story on Linus, but we'll get there. Yeah, yeah,
1: we'll get there. let well, <laughs> just, just ask him now. So, you know, for all that guys out there that are part of F3, they always want to know, how'd you get involved with F3 and how'd you get your name?
2: Uh, So I was stationed in Fort Gordon, Georgia, uh, an army base uh, right outside of Augusta, and some F3 guys out of Columbia, South Carolina, which is uh, just across the border, invited me to a workout. Uh, Robber is uh, the gentleman that is credited with the uh, emotional headlock that that, uh, brought me over to that workout, and uh, I had just, this was uh, early, late 2014, I think it was. Uh I had just gone through the central issue facility to return all of my, what we call in the Army TA-50. This is all your field gear, your rucksack and your pistol belt and your ammo pouches, your helmet, all that stuff. And it's, um, it's a pretty happy day when you get rid of all that stuff. And I was eager to retire from the Army and move on to the next chapter. And there's a piece of field gear that every soldier is issued. It's called a poncho liner. It's basically like a, a blanket. Um, we affectionately refer to it as a woobie And it's an amazing piece of kit. It keeps you warm even when it's wet. And uh, so when I was at the CIF turning all my gear in, the lady grabbed my woobie and um, threw it in this bin with about, I don't know, 30 some other willbies that had been turned in that day and seeing her <laughs> toss my willby into that into that container knowing everything that my willby had been through with me you know all the deployments all the training all the schools uh, numerous trips around the world uh, it suddenly hit me like a ton of bricks that my military chapter of my life is over yeah. and it, and so it kind of uh, was an unexpected thing uh, that I felt, and so my dumbass tried to put this in words and explain it to my F three uh, soon to be brothers, and they just focused on the fact that I was uh, being sentimental over this blanket. So if anybody's ever watched, uh, you ever watched Charlie Brown? Uh, Linus yeah. is the character that has a little security blanket and sucks his thumb. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, guess, uh, I got. I got like Linus.
1: For, wait,
0: for once I would have been right. Most times when like guys have their F three names, we, like you and I should like write down what we think the story is behind That's it. a
1: Good idea. Yeah.
0: Because most times I guarantee, you, like we're we're wrong. It comes yep. from a different direction than we thought. But right. this one I would have got right. Actually, I figured it was Linus and something to do with a blanket. I yeah, didn't know anything, all the details. I don't
1: but. know why. Why didn't the army let you keep your woobie?
0: Yeah. Seems like you should get to keep that. Like, you sweat are gonna,
1: all over that thing and everything. Who the heck? They're not going to
0: reuse it, right? They don't give it to the next guy.
1: Uh, yeah, they
2: they reissue it. You know, I should have kept it, and if you lose anything, uh, the Army just charges you. It's called a statement of charges, and there were a few other items that I had to pay for that I had lost over the years, and I don't know why I didn't just keep it and pay the $38 or whatever they would have charged me, but, eh, hindsight.
1: You should have carved your initials (laughs) in it or something and and just put it, we can make an announcement on the podcast, whichever one of you guys have is whoopee. He wants it back
0: it would be cool to like like yeah like if they if you had your name on it and so like there was this like lineage of, yeah a list of, of guys owners of yeah. the woobie
2: yeah like like in the old days when you would check out books from the library yeah
1: exactly exactly uh, we're going to talk about your military experience a little bit further but just just for a reference point how many years were you in
2: Twenty-three.
1: Twenty-three years. That's a long time. That's a good chunk of good chunk of your life. And what did you come out with as a rank? Captain. Captain. Captain Cadre Danny Linus.
2: <laughs> All right.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, that's uh, so uh um, Army Captain, which is an O three. Not not to be confused. The a Navy captain is a way, way higher uh rank. That, that's that's yeah. an O six, uh, the equivalent of an Army Colonel. But no, I was, I was a captain.
1: All right. All right, cap. Well, uh, let's, let's turn back time a little bit further. So tell me, um, what, what, you know what, before we go further, I do want to mention to the guys out there that are listening. Um, yeah, he's a high impact man because of his military experience and the, and the leadership that he's, uh, that he's done and still doing. But as far as F3 guys are concerned, uh, cadre Danny's called cadre Danny because he's in charge of the cadre Academy. Now you could correct me, Danny, if I get this stuff wrong, but he's in charge of the Cadre Academy, which is developing new guys to lead the GTE, the Growic Training Events. Um, he's also the guy that's in charge of the GTEs, I think. Right? Did I get that right? Yes, correct. All right. So, in other words, he trained. He's a leader who's training the leaders. And stuff. So you know, we really got really have got a, a guy here who's a high impact man. So, Danny, tell us, let's turn back time just a little bit. Where I, I know that you told me that you, uh, I think you, you were born in Kansas City. Um, I think you moved around a bit. But tell me about what what it was like growing up, where you grew up. You know, what was that like?
2: Well, I grew up in, a, in an Army family. My dad was a, a career Army officer, uh, and we moved every two to three years. So mm-hmm. I really didn't have any roots as a— as a school child, and uh, I really hated moving around all the time because right about the time you would make friends, you would be uprooted and go to a new place and have to start all over again. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of times we, um, even though... Uh, my dad served at a couple of big army bases, but most of the time he had these unusual assignments that were either in rural areas or overseas locations. And so uh, these were schools that didn't have a lot of new kids. So it was always difficult to make friends and fit in. And of course, about the time you did, you're, you're going on to the next place. But uh, in hindsight, uh, I'm grateful for, for my childhood because I think it gave me uh, the ability to make friends quickly and and be flexible and sort of comfortable in in whatever surroundings I find myself in.
1: Yeah. What kind of places, what kind of places do you live? Did you live uh, overseas?
2: Yeah. Uh, So when I was uh, a baby, uh, we lived in Argentina and Buenos Aires and then uh, also in uh, Guatemala city for, um, uh, I think I was in sixth and seventh grade. And then, uh, uh, yeah, various places, North Carolina, Virginia, uh, West Virginia, or else? Yeah, look, here and there and everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, so if you were in another country, did they have a school for uh, kids that were um, for American military office, uh, servicemen's kids? And the reason I ask, because they speak a different language. You know, how do you jump into a new school yeah. that speaks a different language? Yeah, they
0: have school on site for you, or do you have to yeah. go somewhere to...
2: Well, um, in, in my case, in, in, in Guatemala, wow, this is a country in Central America, there's no U.S. military base there. So uh, there was an international school, and so I went to an international school. It was sort of like a, a K through K-12 private school, if you will. So most of the kids from the American embassy went there, but there were also um, kids of, of UN, Uh, workers. There were uh, like wealthy uh, host nation like Guatemalan family uh, businesses, uh, business people who sent their children there. The the classes were in English, but everybody spoke Spanish. Right. So for the first, yeah, the first half of the school year, I was, I was just lost. You know, I I didn't, I didn't actually learn any Spanish until we arrived in Guatemala. And then it was like, uh, you know, drinking from a fire hose trying to, trying to uh, learn, learn the language, but then also make friends and fit in and, and all that. And just to a new, a new environment, a little bit of culture shock. (laughs) But it was, it was all good. It was, it was something that I was able to, uh, a similar experience. I was able to provide my children uh, during my time in the army, because um, I also had overseas assignments in places like Germany and, and South Korea And, um, and so my children were able, you know, they were exposed to, uh, foreign culture and foreign language and, and cuisine and history, like all the things that enrich a person when you travel abroad.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It must be tough though. You know, as a kid, try to fit in and, you know, there's probably bullies and all that stuff. Yeah,
2: of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's everywhere. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the thing that, um, the the thing that i always used as an icebreaker that served me even as as i transitioned into adulthood and went into the military was uh the probably the one thing i was kind of good at as a kid and that was soccer so anywhere i went the soccer was always kind of the common icebreaker whether it's on the playground at recess or in the you know the boys club or a youth league or whatever uh, that was sort of my inroads <laughs> yeah. so and even even in the military, I can't tell you how many times, you know, whether I was, um, you know, with the German Army Partnership Force or even in Iraq. I...
1: He froze.
0: <clears throat> he was right to even in Iraq. Yep.
1: I I said we lost you, can you rejoin?
0: recording spielberg
1: (laughs) he's gonna roll down the hill it does this is your conscience talking tuck Tuck and roll roll. tuck and roll we don't talk much tuck and roll you're gonna regret not training better train start running.
0: Little does he know I put him in an all uphill leg.
1: Think fast, run fast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's not responding to my text either. Hey. Hey, guys. Oh, uh, there you
2: are. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah we got gotcha. you. Gotcha. I apologize. My My phone overheated and literally oh. just shut itself down.
1: Oh, jeez. Oh, boy. We well, better put the air conditioning uh, but, on, brother.
2: Well, yeah, I had turned the AC off because of the noise, but um, I moved my truck to a shady uh, spot, and... Um, I think if I keep the camera off, it will draw less data and maybe we can. Do you, are we able to continue or do we need to reset or what? Yeah. Yes.
0: If yeah. you want to just kind of pick up, you were talking about soccer. Hold on a so oh.
1: he's on audio. He's going to leave the video off. His phone overheated and shut up. down. Oh, okay. All right. Speely says we're good. We're good with just audio.
0: So, yeah. And so if you want to just kind of pick up, it was when you were talking about soccer and you had just said, even while in Iraq. And went. Bleh. So, if you want to kind of okay. lead, if you want to kind of lead into there, if you remember where you, where your train of thought was going, soccer, yeah, soccer. And even while in Iraq, you played soccer. I guess that's where you, what you're going to say.
2: Even even in Iraq, I used soccer as an icebreaker to to make friends and and build trust. I, I think I was trying to uh, tie that point into. Uh, childhood and moving around, new schools, and right. how do you fit in?
1: Yeah, you. It says you went to high school in uh, Fayetteville. Uh, uh, makes sense. Your dad was was your dad special forces? Because Fayetteville, that's where Fort Bragg is, right?
2: Correct. Uh, no my my father was a military intelligence officer, but. Um, Funny enough, his last assignment, which was at Fort Bragg, he worked at the, the JFK Special Warfare Center, which is essentially the schoolhouse for all Special Forces soldiers, where, mm-hmm. where I would later go to get my training.
1: Yeah, cool. And you played soccer in high school and played the drums? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, not very good, but I, yeah, I played drums in school band and, and marching band. And uh, yeah, I was on the high school soccer team.
1: What position did you play?
2: I was a midfielder, but I could play every position. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like every good soccer player can, right? That, that just means that he was a really good athlete. Yeah. He could run. Coach's dream. You were fast, weren't you?
2: I I did like to run, yeah. I, I set a goal for myself every game. Uh, if I stopped running at any point, that was like a, a demerit against myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are you faster than Chad Powers? No, no, I'm just kidding. Don't worry
0: about that. <laughs> You might not know Chad Powers. <laughs> I don't
1: know if you know that reference, but that's okay. Chad Powers is, well, that's a long story. We won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say that this episode is going to air in two weeks, and the episode's airing, the next episode airing, that's air, the ap, episode, well, I'm going to get this right, airs before this episode. We talked about me trying to beat Chad Powers 40-yard okay. dash time. So we still don't know if I did it or so not. So this
0: one releases. Chad Powers will be old news. No one will be talking about it anymore. I'm going to keep it alive. All right. <laughs> All
1: right, brother. So For some reason, I,
2: when you said Chad Powers, I was thinking of uh, Chaz Michael Michaels from that that skating movie with Will Ferrell and Napoleon Blade, Dynamite.
0: Blades of Glory?
1: <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, isn't that the main character? I think,
0: I think you're right. Yeah.
1: I have no idea. I didn't watch that movie. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Chad Powers, Eli... So I said I wasn't going to do this. Eli Manning disguised himself and called himself Chad Powers, and he, and he went to the walk-on tryouts at Penn State for the football team <laughs> this year. And it's it, there are videos out there that are in social media, so it's pretty funny. Anyway, Chad Powers. Think fast, run fast. Uh, <laughs> all right, so high school. Did you have any uh, siblings, brothers, sisters?
2: Uh, I have an older sister, uh, way older than me, so she... Um and then she left home at a really young age. So from about
1: age eight
2: until I graduated from high school, I was kind of an only child. I, I never saw her. Yeah. Well,
1: um, 1991, was. That, I'm assuming this is right out of high school, you enlisted in the Army, is that right? Yep. All right, so I got to ask, I mean, I know your, your dad was in the military, he was in the Army, so it, it makes sense you know, that you, you did that, but... Um, did you did you intentionally want to go in as an enlisted man first before maybe you know getting a college degree and becoming an officer was that the plan
2: actually I I didn't plan to go in the in the military at all that was sort of a, a plan B or a plan C um, a, after high school I did attend uh, college for one semester and I hated it I had no sense of purpose I didn't know what I wanted to do I uh, felt like I was wasting time, and so um, you know, I found myself <laughs> walking down to the recruiter's office. And uh, really, the only reason I chose the Army over the other branches of service is because the Army had the shortest uh, enlistment at that time. You could enlist for two years and four months. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the next closest enlistment period was three years, so I figured, well, let me go with the shortest thing. Minimize my commitment.
1: (laughs) You you chose your branch of the military because it was the shortest commitment, and you end up staying in for 23 years.
2: Right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's funny how things work out. Uh, My father was on assignment in Saudi Arabia at the time that I enlisted, and I didn't even tell him until, I don't even remember, I think I was... At some phase of basic training or in my advanced individual training, whenever I, I let him know that I had gone in the army, and really, uh, wow. got, yeah, kind of like what you just asked. Uh, you know, my my dad had the same <laughs> the same reaction. Why didn't you become an officer first uh-huh. uh, before you know you could have got your college education and you'd be the one giving orders instead of taking orders? But
1: right.
2: uh, I had to learn, I guess, for myself and do things the hard way.
1: Did it make you a better officer?
2: In my opinion, yes. <laughs> of course, I'm biased, but right. um, you know, even before I went through officer candidate school and and became an officer myself, I, I always thought that the best ar- officers in the army were the prior enlisted ones because you know they had they had walked in uh, in my boots. You know they they had done all the 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 crummy details and. You know, they'd been at the bottom of the of the ladder, so it gave, a, a, what I thought, uh, it gave officers a, um, a better perspective yeah. on the plight of the enlisted service member if they had done that job themselves.
1: Yeah, I would think so, and I, you know, also, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like um, when you have the perspective of an enlisted man and now all of a sudden you're an officer, uh, I think it might help. Communication be a little bit better because you, um, I don't know, I'm not going to articulate this exactly the way I'd like to, but uh, as an enlisted man, sometimes you get orders that don't make sense or they don't make sense to you or whatever. Uh, do, does that happen? And, and it, it was did it make it easier for you to be able to kind of explain the why to the, the enlisted guys when you were giving orders or you had a mission?
2: I think so. I think the the main thing is credibility, you know, I never asked any enlisted person to do something that I hadn't done myself, usually numerous times. So, uh, you know, you you can't say the same thing about uh, a fresh Lieutenant right out of, you know, college ROTC that never, you know, never did anything other than, you know party and you know there there's there's this animosity in the military between enlisted and and officers and and many enlisted um, uh leaders the nCOs you know they they kind of feel like officers uh serve themselves first by getting the education whereas the enlisted man you know he he uh he went into the military right away. Now, obviously, that's not one hundred percent true, and it's a generalization, but that animosity persists, and and so I had I had some credibility. Uh, you know, my first assignment as a second lieutenant, what they call a butter bar. Uh, I, I already had fourteen years time in service. I had already worked up the ranks from private E one all the way to sergeant first class, and E seven. So. All the men that I was in charge of, I had I had done, you know, comparable jobs to what they were doing. And so they, uh, for the most part, they gave me that uh, measure of, of respect because because of that credibility that we sort of shared.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. What was your first job in the military?
2: I was a, a tanker. Uh, so an M1A1 main battle tank, the Abrams tank. Uh, I started out as a as a tank driver and then uh, I became the loader uh, a tank has a four man crew so I basically worked my way up through all of the positions to be a, a I was a tank commander briefly before I left that career field and said goodbye to tanks
1: yeah did you go is that when you went uh, into special forces and, and qualified there
2: that's correct. Yeah, i left I left tanks uh, after about four years, and volunteered for Army Special Forces and went through the uh, the training pipeline to be reclassed as a Special Forces soldier.
1: Yeah i I don't really know what that entails. Like, so I mean, everyone knows about sort of Buds and SEAL training because it's in the movies and all that stuff. But if you're in the Army and you volunteer to go into Special Forces and you got to go through whatever that qualification is, what is that like? What do you, What do you have to go through? How long does it take? Well,
2: uh, I had a couple of courses I had to do uh, before I went to the Special Forces qualification course, or what they call the Q course. Uh, and for every F three guy listening, um, if you don't know where the word Q comes from in F three lexicon, it comes from that that school, that acronym that that uh, dread also went through in his journey to become a a Special Forces soldier. So, um, in my case, after I successfully completed special forces assessment and selection or what they call selection, this is a a 21 day, uh, tryout. Once you finish that, uh, if you're not airborne qualified, you have to go to airborne school. And then in my case, uh, I had to go to Advanced International Morse Code training, also, which was an eight-week crash course in in tactical Morse code. Once I finished both of those schools, then the Q course uh, is is broken into numerous phases. the The first phase is kind of like ranger school it's it's uh, small unit tactics so you're doing patrols in the woods uh, basically the the three types of patrols that you learn in in this phase and also in ranger school are uh, recon ambush and raid and then you graduate to the next phase which is your technical training or your mos training in my case i was a communication sergeant so this was a pretty academic port Uh, portion of my my training pipeline. A lot of classroom time, learning antenna theory, wave propagation, electrical circuits, kind of all the stuff that makes radios, at least military radios, uh, tick. And then you're evaluated on your ability to make long-range communication shots. Uh, The on a special forces team or an ODA, a 12 man team, it's the combo guy who is maintaining a link with our higher headquarters at times three, four, 5,000 miles away. So uh, I had to be proficient in satellite communications, but also high frequency communications, HS, uh, which is kind of old technology, but hey, it, it works when the satellites don't. So
1: Right. Yeah. I was watching a movie. And then. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Oh no! Uh, what movie were you watching? <laughs> I,
1: I can't remember. I can't remember if it was a movie. or I was reading a book. I don't. I think I was. I think it was a a book I was reading. Anyway, I think it was World World War Two um, battle. It was like I think it was a historical novel, so it was like based on real history. And uh, they had these guys. I think they were in the. They might have been in the Ardine Forest or whatever when there was snow and whatever, and and um, mm-hmm. they they. They were, the enemy the germans were like over a ridge down a little ways or whatever but they and they were not in a stalemate but they were like they weren't advancing on each other yet or whatever and a, and a, a a forward observer was uh, moving through the lines to go ahead to go you know to get closer to the enemy but he had, they had a communication guy with them right so the forward observer guys the guys uh, spots where the enemy is, it calls in the artillery rounds and that kind of stuff and uh, to try to bomb the enemy, but you got a guy. You have to have a guy out there who knows where they are and has a map and tells them where to shoot. But there's a communication guy going with you. But I didn't realize this at the, t- in the at least in the book they describe. He's un-, un unspooling a wire the whole way, and trying to stay hidden because they didn't have wireless communication. I guess I don't know. Does that does that make wow. any sense?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously. Uh, there's a limited range to that, that wire. Uh, actually that's, that's a system that, that I had to learn in the Q course. Uh, there's a, a field telephone called a, a TA one and it uses uh, field wire, WD one, and it comes on these giant metal spools. Mm-hmm. And for the forward observer to be using that system is not ideal, but I guess if, if, um, uh, if that FO is within, you know, four or 500 feet, of wherever the artillery battery or or maybe the mortars, depending on what kind of indirect fire he's using, uh, yeah, he could be calling calling in enemy positions over a field phone.
1: Yeah, well, that's what they portrayed in the book. I don't know how real it was, but anyway, I just a side light as far as communication, <laughs> sides, whatever side road here. All right, go on. I'm sorry. So you're you're learning all this communication stuff. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I think I was describing uh, the the Q course. The final phase of the Q course is uh, what they call Robin Sage. This is a six week uh, unconventional warfare exercise that simulates six months in some kind of an occupied uh, enemy territory. And Robin Sage is a pretty interesting exercise. It's the only one like it in the army because there are a lot there are uh, real world role players and in, in central North Carolina that have been doing this exercise, you know, farmers and truck drivers and, and even police officers that all, um, all take part in, in Robin Sage. so anyway, you finish Robin Sage and then you are, um, you're awarded your green beret and your special forces tab, but then you're still, you still have to finish language training. Uh, in my case, I went to uh, the Russian basic military language course and then, um, Actually, you know, I'm describing my pipeline. It's actually uh, evolved since I went through this. And so now I think they do language training interspersed within the Q course instead of all at once. Right. And, uh, and also SEER training, which is, uh, the survival training. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, (laughs) that's, that's the Q course in a nutshell. Now, like any other job, just because you learn those skills and you're and you're and you don the green beret. You don't really learn your job until you get to your unit and you okay. integrate with your team. But this gives you uh, at least a baseline of of general knowledge to get started with.
1: So, what year was this? Because you joined in '91. So, what year did you you know get your your beret? Uh,
2: 1998.
1: 98. So that's just a couple years, a few years before uh,
2: 9/11. Correct.
1: Were you um? Were you you went to Officer Candidate School after that, but were you uh, in Officer Candidate School before 9-11, or were you still uh, enlisted? Enlisted. Yeah, where were you when, during 9-11? What was that like?
2: Uh, I, was, I was in First Special Forces Group. I was actually, uh, I lived in Army housing on Fort Lewis. I was home uh, in my quarters that morning with my, uh, my wife and my children and one of my teammates from uh, my my A-team, uh, he and his wife had an appointment that morning, and so his kids were at my house. So we had a house full of kids. I had four children. He had three. House full of kids. And uh, so we started seeing the reports coming over the news that morning. And uh, like everybody, you know, in, in complete shock and once the you know the second tower was struck, I realized okay, yeah, this isn't an accident. And of course, we all um, you know, we we all knew we were going to war. Um, the army base where I was, Fort Lewis, it, like all federal installations, was immediately locked down. So my teammate and his wife were stuck off post, uh, so um, they couldn't get back on. They couldn't get through the gate. I I think. I think I jumped on my bike and rode to to work, like rode into the compound uh, just to report in. And, you know, in my naivety, I, I thought we were like, you know, going wheels up that night. Uh, but it was actually um, some time before my unit was able to get into the fight. Uh, Fifth Special Forces Group was was the tip of the spear. And, you know, within 30 days uh, were, you know, they found themselves in in, uh, Afghanistan, uh, looking for, uh, bin Laden. But, uh, at that, you know, on September 11th, 2001, I had never heard of Al Qaeda. Right. And, uh, that night I found myself on guard duty at the gate of our compound. My whole team, we got, we drew the short, the short straw and we were put on guard duty, uh, two hour shifts, and so um, while I was on guard duty that night, our our intelligence uh, section, what we call the S2, they gave us a, a binder of terrorist networks to read up on. So there was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 terrorist groups that I was reading about uh, that night as I pulled guard duty. And and one of them was Al Qaeda. Um which obviously you know that turned out to be our our adversary for the next fifteen years, I suppose
1: mm-hmm. did you uh did you get did you uh, i'm sure you did were you in combat after that
2: yeah, uh, yeah, so my first combat deployment, if you want to call it that uh, was actually to the philippines in in two thousand and three. So, um, you know, for those ensuing two years, we kind of uh, continued to focus on our area of operation, which um, of the five special forces groups in the army, each one focuses on a different part of the world and you learn the target languages there and the culture. And, and so um, my unit was focused on the Asia Pacific theater, and my team specifically was focused on uh, North Korean uh, threats, so we continued to to do our our primary job and and just waited for our turn to go to uh, Afghanistan or Iraq. But actually, uh, Al Qaeda and some supporting organizations emerged in the Philippines, and so. Uh, my, my unit deployed there in, in 2003. Uh, it was considered a, um, a combat deployment. Uh, we received hazardous duty pay and, and all that, but I didn't see any action there. We certainly had some tense, uh, scary moments, but, um, I, I, didn't actually exchange gunfire with anybody. So it wasn't until, let me see, I think it was 2005 was my first deployment to, to Iraq. Uh, again, with the same unit, I was still in in first uh, first special forces group at that time.
1: Yeah, you exchanged gunfire there with people.
2: Uh, I I did uh, I did not have to uh, shoot anybody, uh, thankfully. Uh, about the about the worst I had to do uh, on any of our missions was fire warning shots at vehicles, which um, vehicle borne. IEDs was a huge threat. And so uh, our rules of engagement would allow us to fire warning shots in the direction of threat vehicles, which normally warning shots are not authorized. Uh, you know, you talk to any police officer or in uh, most rules of engagement, you, you shoot to kill. You don't shoot to scare people or maim people. But uh, at that time, uh, warning shots were one of our one of our steps in our escalation of force before we went lethal or kinetic. So, um, yeah, that was about the most exciting, uh, trigger time that I personally received. And, uh, I'm not sure if I was ever actually in somebody's, uh, sites myself. I mean, we, we had indirect fire attacks and small arms, you know, in the area when we were operating in, in various villages, but, um, yeah, but who knows if somebody was actually shooting at me? I don't, I don't think so.
1: Yeah. Well, all right. And then you went on to officer candidate school, right? That's right. Yeah, I actually
2: came out of Iraq uh, in in two thousand six, and went immediately to Fort Benning, Georgia, for officer candidate school, and that sort of changed the entire trajectory of the rest of my time in the army.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, now, now you're giving orders. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's always good. You know, I didn't I didn't have much experience in the military. I was in the National Guard for a couple of years and. Uh, I just remember, but it really helped me with my life because I went to boot camp as a stripless private and then we're doing this this one weekend a month thing and we didn't do any training, but um, I was still the guy who had to clean up the latrines and everything. And I thought to myself, I do not (laughs) want to be a private in life. I want to be one of those other guys over there drinking coffee, telling the other guys what to do. So I I was in college uh, at the time. And so then I actually started studying. And so it, it helped me to buckle down a little bit and, and, and actually study a little bit in college and, and come out. Actually, I know that, we're, well, you know, you, we're going to mention her later, but I know your wife is a physician assistant, but that's what I am. So I ended up going to physician assistant school and being a PA. So, uh, so it was good Did you for go me. through the, uh, the Army PA program? No, 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 no. I was I, So I, I was in the Pennsylvania National Guard, so that was, they, we did what's called split training. So you're in college, and one summer you go to boot camp. Next summer you go to advanced training, that kind of thing. But I was only, I was only in for two years. I got, I actually broke my foot when I was supposed to go to advanced training, and it got put off. And then I got It got rescheduled again, and uh, and I went right before I was going to go. I injured the same foot, and they wouldn't let me go. I I, I said I can't take another semester. Cause I took a semester off for school, I as I can't take any more time off of school. They said, well, we can't send you this summer. They said we'll just we'll give you a medical discharge. And I took it. So, and that, you know, it's nothing to be proud about, but I, you know, that, that was my experience in the military I was going to boot camp basically. But, but that helped me to know that I wanted to actually apply myself and not be a stripless private in life.
0: How, how hard did you have to hit your foot with a hammer to, <laughs> to get out of this?
1: I was, tra- I was, I was, <laughs> I was in the best shape of my life playing with college guys, basketball. Cause I was uh, going to play college basketball. And when I transferred from Penn state to a smaller school, I couldn't play for Penn state. And I was playing the best I was ever playing in my life. And I landed on somebody's foot and broke my, just Uh, turned my foot and broke my foot. Anyway, enough about me. I'd never heard
0: that story. So yeah, well, learned something new about our Nantan today.
1: Yeah, there you go. Um, then you went to Ranger school. I'm a little confused sometimes. So there's like Ranger school for guys that could go through it, but they're not Rangers because I don't know. They're not in a Ranger battalion, but then you can go to Ranger school and be in the Ranger battalions. Can you clarify that one for me?
2: Yeah, the best way to think of it, uh, Ranger School is basically a leadership course. And so you, you learn tactics there. You learn small unit tactics uh, at the squad level, which is nine guys, and at the platoon level, which is like 37 guys, and then a little bit of company level, which is three platoons. But the the tactics that you learn in ranger school are not really the takeaway the the, the takeaway is the ability to lead men when they are sleep deprived and hungry mm-hmm. and 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 in either hot wet or or extremely cold uh, environmental conditions so the idea is if you can if you can lead a squad on a uh, you know on an ambush or if you can lead a platoon to conduct a, uh, a reconnaissance mission. If you can do that successfully when everybody's tired and grumpy and, and uh, they haven't eaten in, in a couple of days, uh, then when your soldiers are fed and are rested, then ideally it should be that much easier. So Army Ranger School is open to all soldiers. Uh, typically only the combat arms uh, MOSs go. you know, Infantry, artillery, uh, combat engineers, but but basically, anybody c- can go to Ranger School. And the, um, the Ranger Regiment, 75th Ranger Regiment, this is a very uh, elite uh, infantry unit within the U.S. Army. And the Ranger Regiment is not connected in any way to Ranger School. Oh, okay. uh, meaning, you know, Ranger School is managed by, by TRADOC, the Training and Doctrine Command, and the Ranger Regiment is part of an entirely separate structure. Uh, it's part of USASOC, the United States Army Special Operations Command. So they're they're completely uh, separate um, entities. But to serve in the in the Ranger Regiment, you have to have a Ranger tab. So you have to have gone through Ranger training and passed uh, you know the the Ranger school to to be a leader within the Ranger Regiment.
0: Is it is it the Ranger Regiment that does the is it the Ranger Challenge?
2: The
1: top Ranger? Yeah,
0: like where the two the like they're in like pairs yeah. and compete against each other, right? Is that is that the actual Ranger Regiment yeah. that does that?
2: Yeah, that 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 event, that competition, uh, it's called the Best Ranger Challenge. Yeah, that is hosted every year by the seventy fifth Ranger Regiment. Okay. And so um so there are teams you know that come from within the ranger regiment that compete but there are also teams from uh, every infantry division within the u.s army sends teams to that Yeah, did you ever do it
1: yeah danny did you ever do it no oh I, sorry if
2: i cut out for a second I wish, I wish I could have done uh, best ranger competition, but no, I, I never had the opportunity to do that.
1: Yeah, because I mean, you talked about uh, your, your fitness level and, and how, I guess, early in your Army career, you had some influential NCOs who really impressed upon you uh, the importance of a uh, high level of fitness. Uh, tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so as as a as a young tanker, uh, there were a couple of NCOs that had a, a really big influence on me, and they stressed that fitness is something that'll set you apart from your peer. and And they said, "Hey, just uh, you know, the things that well, you, you being a National Guard, you probably remember the the saying: shoot, move, and communicate." Mm-hmm. Uh, So that's, that's the, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid, you know, just focus on those things, shoot, move and communicate. Well, the move part of shoot, move and communicate kind of equates to, to PT, to fitness. And so, you know, as, as a young guy, since running came pretty natural to me, uh, I always just tried to be the fastest runner in my platoon and, Anytime the NCOs wanted a break and they wanted one of the the junior enlisted to to lead PT, I would always volunteer to lead it because I knew I could smoke the other guys in in the platoon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that just kind of persisted uh, as I I moved through the ranks. Then I had a wake-up call when I when I arrived in a special forces unit and I realized, okay, I'm, I'm no longer at the, at the uh, <laughs> I'm not the alpha dog anymore. Like I'm in the back of the pack. So, uh-huh. and then even more so when I arrived at, at, uh, at my ranger unit, um, yeah, you're just another, another guy in the crowd. Wow. At that point. But yeah, it was, it was early on in my career where I, um, you know, they impressed upon me the importance of fitness and, and I'm really thankful for that because, it, it, is, it is a basic, you know, it's a fundamental um, uh, human characteristic that if is neglected, you induce all kind of additional complications and problems in your life. From health to survivability, durability, I mean, you name it, life is going to hit you sideways at some point. So why not be fit and, and prepared when that happens? Right. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. I I can tell you working in medicine, I work in surgery and, and the quicker people get up and move the the quicker they get better. And the worse condition they are when they come in, the the longer it takes from the recover. And uh, you know, there's a saying motion is lotion and it's true. We were created to move. And when we don't move, bad things happen. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it it really into the fitness and then you got involved in CrossFit, right? Right.
2: Yeah, and um, I I resisted that a lot at first because, uh, yeah, CrossFit came on scene. I think that was around maybe, oh, when was that? Two, 2000, uh, I don't know, 2004, 2005, somewhere in there. And um, I didn't like it at first because I saw these ridiculous workouts. I, one of the first CrossFit workouts I did was uh, 100 pull-ups for time. And I remember thinking who would do a hundred pull-ups? That's impossible. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and I did it and I couldn't move my arms for days <laughs> and I was doing it like one repetition at a time, probably after the first 40. Uh-huh. So, um, <laughs> But, no, I, I quickly realized that, hey, this this system of training where you combine both uh, aerobic capacity and anaerobic, like, those two systems amplify one another, and it is a, a very efficient way to train, you know, in a very short amount of time because of the intensity of, of the workouts, uh, you can get a training effect and you don't need to spend an hour in the gym or you don't need to do a 10 mile run to, to, uh, maintain your cardio. You know, you can do a, you can do a six minute Fran wad and it'll, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna leave you wrecked. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I began to, um, to train, Using uh, CrossFit as as the model there for several years because it it was the most efficient and I got the most bang for my butt.
1: Yeah, and so so um, let's you I know you ended up owning your own CrossFit gym in Georgia, right? Travail CrossFit. Did you right. Did you open that after you got out of the military?
2: No, uh, the the last year I was in the army, uh, I opened that gym and I was able to. Um, I worked it out with my with my command, um, where I could come in basically right at the nine o'clock work call, and and I had a my the last year in the army actually the last year and a half I pretty much had a desk job I wasn't in charge of any soldiers I was working at the uh, signal center which is the army schoolhouse for all the uh, the new signal soldiers coming in so uh, basically I was a pencil pusher and. I was able to work like a nine to five uh, duty. So I would, I would open my gym at five in the morning, kick everybody out of there about eight and then go to my army job. And then as soon as I could uh, clear out of the S3 shop, I would haul ass back to the gym, open it up again, and then run classes until closing time.
1: Wow. you That's a long day.
2: Yeah, It was, but I loved it. I, I loved it. And that was, that was my first taste of uh, where, I was actually able, like through fitness, you should appreciate this being in medicine, you know, through fitness, when you see somebody get off their medication, they're taking for diabetes, or when you see somebody suddenly, uh, you know, have a breakthrough and able to, uh, uh, there was one lady I was training, she was able to get a job that had a physical assessment. Uh, she was unable to pass before she started training with me, or you know the fire the firehouse right down the road that would come over and train with us, and and um, because they didn't have a, a an adequate program in their in their fire department. So th- these were all really rewarding uh, things for me to be able to to do uh, in the you know under the under the guise of fitness, where up till that point fitness was just. Uh, a way of life in my professional, uh, you know, in my military, I guess, you know, um, necessity. But, um, but yeah, that was, that was Travail CrossFit. Now that was a pretty short lived (laughs) business failure. Uh, It's not cheap to run a a gym. And I quickly learned that being a, a coach, a head coach of a, of a gym is, is quite different than being a business owner. And, and so, usually people are good at one or the other, and and I was definitely not good at the business side of it. So, um, so I closed that gym down uh, right after I retired from the army, and then moved back to uh, to Tacoma, Washington, Fort Lewis, Washington, where I had left my kids uh, a couple years prior.
1: Okay, yeah, and your kids were with uh, three boys and a girl, is that right? Yes. Now they're in their twenties, yep. I think, right?
2: They are. Yeah. yeah. That's I call them my fab four.
1: Right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Sweet. Any of them going to military?
2: I don't think so. Uh, no, they, they each have, um, sort of their own interests and pursuits. Uh, my oldest son, he, well, he's 28 right now, but, um, he did have a, a, a slight interest in going into the military, but when he went to get his physical, um, because he had childhood asthma, uh, it prevented him from from enlisting. Which it's kind of a silly rule, but um, he didn't he didn't pursue it or try to get a waiver after that.
1: Yeah, my Spielberg, who's here, is our tech guy. He doesn't have earphones on, so he can't hear you. He forgot his own earphones. But anyway, yeah, he's got asthma. He tried to get in and got they wouldn't let you in, right, Speely Military, yeah. I'm surprised. I thought they could get at least get in the air force or something, right? Coast guard. <laughs> Coast guard. <laughs> sorry, try, try sorry, the Coast Guard, Sorry, Cutter, if you're listening. <laughs> sorry, to Cutter. This. Yeah, we got a friend who was in the Coast Guard for a long time. Anyway, uh, all right. So you, it sounds like you never got fat, right? You stayed in shape in the military. You came out. You're already still working out. You're own your own CrossFit. Then you got involved with with Goruck, correct? Before you got involved with F three, you were involved with Goruck, I think, right?
2: Right. It was uh yeah, the, the the succession or the chain of events I suppose uh you know, crossfit kinda led me to, to go ruck and, and when I first uh applied to be a Go cadre it, it was it was simply as a fitness pursuit you know this was just another aspect of uh, fitness training you know endurance training and it wasn't until I led numerous go ruck challenges I realized uh, the meaningful impact uh, that the participants uh, receive when they finish one of these challenges. but as a as a go ruck cadre uh, I was assigned to lead a custom F3 event. Mm-hmm. and that introduced me to to f3 i was so ignorant of what f3 was about um i actually <laughs> invited uh three ladies from my gym the travail crossfit <laughs> gym i invited them to come with me uh-huh. to this f3 custom <laughs> custom uh go rug tough not knowing that it was for men only and then uh the coordinator of the event you let me know, and and then I, I've, you know, I had to eat crow and tell these ladies, "Oh, sorry, you can't come. This is oh, guys only."
1: Wow, that stinks. Did they <laughs> do
2: they travel far? Yeah. Uh, well, no, they it was they didn't actually make the trip. They oh, were. Okay. I told him the day before, right. but I, I didn't explain it very well because I didn't understand. I, I, I didn't know why this was a, a men's club thing. And of course, once I understood the mission and, and that we're trying to invigorate male community leadership and it's not to the exclusion of women, but it's, um, you know, this is so that th- this is uh, iron sharpening iron. This is men making men better. Right. I mean, once I understood that, then I could better explain to, you know, to female athletes and, and female, grts and and even family members you know like why is this only for men
1: yeah yeah well that's interesting i didn't know that that's that's pretty 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 pretty, uh much of a wake up i think it's like oh sorry you can't go at least he
0: found out before they got there yeah yeah at least he He comes walking in hey let me introduce you to these three ladies that are gonna join us yeah
1: all right. Um, and then, uh, so F3 kind of, you kind of partnered, GORUCK and F3, they have a partnership at first, and then we develop our own Grow ruck. Is that what happened?
2: Well, GORUCK used to have a custom program where... Any organization or any group of people, if you wanted to hire GORUCK to lead a, a challenge for you and and customize it for the customers, then then you could do that. Um, the the custom rate was much more expensive than a than just a public GORUCK event. But uh, F three in their constant search for CSOP events. Uh, would, would often contract GORUCK to uh, to lead these custom events. You know, not only uh, tough challenges, but but heavy challenges, uh, even double heavies. Uh, in the case of um, Cape Fear, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina, hosted a custom F3 heavy, heavy. That was two back-to-back 24-hour endurance events, which was just brutal. But, uh where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's I got right. this. I got uh, on a tangent. The um, the first Grow Ruck event was a custom Go Ruck Tough Challenge where uh, Dread and OBT, the, the two founding members of F3, they had been traveling around the country uh, during these Saturday workshops called Grow School. And during growth school, they were simply teaching the principles of growth and expansion and and some, uh, and some fundamental leadership kind of things. And as Dred tells this story, they were in New Orleans uh, at one of these grow school events having lunch and they saw a GORUCK class, a GORUCK Tough Challenge class just walk by. And, and so Dred had the idea of, wow, what if we took our Grow school F3 men and put them through a, a go up tough event so that they are, it reinforces what they just learned and, you know, in a practical exercise kind of way. So it was a short time later, uh, over dinner, dread and OBT pitched this idea to me and I, I instantly, uh, bought in. I was like, yes, we could definitely do that. This would be, uh, so interesting, so fun, so impactful. And so the first uh, the first Grow Ruck was born. Um, this was November 2016. It was in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. We had 31 packs. All 31 men uh, completed the event. And there were a couple of things that happened uh, during that event, kind of by happenstance, but we have um, held on to those as traditions. Um, I, w- I wanted to tell you of at least one of them, but maybe I should pause Uh <laughs> I don't know if you need to interject with a question or a comment or
1: no, no, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Well, these, these go rock
2: tough challenges and the grow ruck events. These are all night affairs. You know, they start around 6 PM on a Saturday and they don't end until Sunday morning at some point, you know, 14, 16 hours later, so we had been uh, we had been rucking all night in the sand, in the surf, cold, wet, hungry, tired, and uh, right before the sun came up, and and you know that's that's the coldest part of the night, right when the the temperature drops. The um, uh, it seemed like the men were just running on fumes; they were exhausted, and I can't remember if it was me, somebody asked, Dread probably wasn't me. It was probably OBT or, or robber, but somebody asked dread if he could just give some words of inspiration to kind of recharge everybody. And dread is really good at that as you guys know. Yeah. So dread, uh, we, we, you know, we stopped the movement and dread was facing the packs. Uh, all of the men were looking out towards the ocean and dread with his back to the ocean and, And like I said, we're in Jacksonville Beach. So on the horizon where the the uh, water meets the sky, you know, that's that's where the sun was coming up. And so there was this glorious sunrise. It was one of these sunrises where, you know, the the sunlight uh, makes these like angel rays as they come through the clouds. (laughs) And you can almost hear like the harps and the angels. It was (laughs) it was a thing of beauty. And it happened at just the perfect point where uh, in the hearts of all of these men, the spirit was moving and then dreads words were charging everybody up. And this is what we came to now call the sunriser or the sunrise service. So every single grow ruck event from then on, we, we pause at sunrise and we'll usually ask one of the, uh, it could be a Nantan, or it could be one of the local leaders. Uh, usually, it's a it's a it's a wizened, an older, wiser F three man that's been around. Maybe he's got some gray in his beard, and it's usually that man that will deliver our our sunrise uh, words of wisdom.
1: Nice, nice. And so, how many? Yeah. How, and so, how many? Uh, we call them GTEs now, right? Grow Ruck training events. So, how many have we had? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and yeah, we so we we no longer contract with GORUCK. So now F three Nation hosts uh, these events entirely self funded, self supported. We don't outsource it to to any company, and so with that transition, uh, F three kind of rebranded it. So instead of instead of it being known as Grow Ruck, now it's the GrowRuck Training Event or GTE right. is. You know, everything gets abbreviated and acronymized in, wow. in the military and in F-3. But to answer your question, uh, there have been 31 of these to date. Okay. And we've got two more this year. So if anybody wants to get, get in on this uh, next weekend, October 8th, well, actually, that'll be, I'm guessing that'll be after this is... Uh, uh is
1: yeah, that'll be history by the time October this 8th airs. In
2: Hampton Roads there will be a GTE and then December 10th in Katy Texas will be the final GTE of this year.
1: Oh nice. Yeah. Last last when this airs it'll be last week's episode. We had Camo on for from Katy Texas the yeah. name 10 there.
0: And I think Uno's joining you uh
1: Hampton Roads.
0: At Hampton Roads, yeah. yeah. I think we might we might have been That's talking right, about yeah. Uno before we went live on
2: yeah. this. Uno so. and and uh, Maxine from Pittsburgh, he'll be at Hampton Roads. Sweet.
1: Yeah, too bad Valley Forge got canceled. Didn't have enough signups, but maybe next year.
2: Yeah, we just rolled it to next year, and hopefully we can get that back on the schedule and uh, breathe some more life into that region. Yeah.
0: So, so how involved are you in the planning for these events? Is it is it handled more locally with just? soft guidance from you or are you guys pretty heavily involved in all the planning leading up to a, a GTE?
2: Uh, so kind of both. So w- once a, a GTE is announced in a particular region, uh, there is a, a shared leadership team from that region that takes ownership of the event and they do local things to help uh, with the location of the rally the location of the, the grow school, which is usually an indoor venue. Uh, They'll stand up a support team to help find implements of woe for the cadre team to use Uh, the, the, the host region team. They also have to track down certain medical gear that we need to have on site. So there's a lot of planning and a lot of leadership opportunities for the, for the host region, but as far as the uh, the ruck phase of the GTE uh, goes, that plan is entirely built by the cadre team, and specifically by the lead cadre assigned to that event, or what we call the C one and and the and the C uh, one, the and then the the host Q. They work hand in hand, uh, in the you know probably starting about six six to eight weeks out. They'll, they're on weekly calls um, doing all these final coordinations. So the the events are very, very well planned. And some of our cadre team members are excellent planners. For for example, Major Payne does it better than any of us. Uh, his op order writing skills are on point.
0: Yeah, nice. Does the C1 travel to the site early to, to kind of get a lay of the land as far as where you can go? Or is that done like a day or two yeah. in advance or how's that work?
2: Yeah, usually the day prior, uh, usually the C1 will arrive in the target city on that Friday, uh, sometimes on Thursday. Uh, and there've been a few cases where the, um, cadre members actually live close to these regions. And so they might go there a couple weeks in advance and kind of scope things out. And, um, so, uh, but not we don't have that opportunity every time. But usually, there is sufficient uh, reconnaissance and sufficient intel uh, for the cadre team that we can uh, build a very good plan. And then, once we're on site, we we finalize our plan, do some rehearsals, and then it's game on.
1: Yeah. How many miles do you typically typically cover?
2: I would say. Uh, it, Average Rook mileage is probably 15, and then there's always a PT test, so that adds a couple more miles for, of a run, uh, and then there's usually some kind of um, a hero workout or a memorial workout uh, in the middle of the night, so that could add some more distance, so um I'd say 20, 20 miles is about the average distance, uh, total, uh, on a man's feet once it's all said and done.
1: Yeah. So that's, you know, I, I want, we watched the, uh, what Facebook live stuff yeah. for some of the grow rocks and, uh, and I've been wanting to do one, uh, dial up could do one tomorrow if you wanted to probably, but, uh, but I've, I've got this issue with my back and I don't know if I should do one or not. So you're the perfect guy to mm. ask. So I had... Um, I had a spinal fusion done about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. L5 S1. So that's the lowest part on your spine. Uh, and it left me with this chronic neuropathy in my leg, but, uh, but I could run mm. not fast, but I could run, uh, and I could do stuff, but it's, it's progressively gotten a little worse. And, uh, so my, the inner space above now has, uh, you know, is, is degenerated and stuff like that. And, and so I'm running in a, we're running in a, uh, endurance relay coming up. It's not very far. I mean, I could do those kinds of things, but, but I, and, and I've been, I rucked starting in April. I started rucking and, uh, and I, I thought I was doing pretty well with it. And but I wasn't going very far. The most the furthest I went was four miles carrying 50 pounds. Um, But, uh, but I thought I was doing pretty well, but my back got a little worse because I did the May challenge at the same time. (laughs) And I don't know which one did it, but anyway, I ended up getting a back injection. It feels better now, but, but any, but my, my issue is, uh, is that like, I don't know how much, if I could get through it or not. And I have a hard time with burpees because of my back without a ruck sack on. So I'm thinking that maybe I shouldn't even do one, but, um, what do you think?
2: If it's going to cause you further injury, then it's not worth it. Uh, you need to keep yourself healthy. so uh, I have known participants with spinal fusions, and they've been successful, but um, the the stressor that you're going to encounter in these type of events is yeah, you're carrying heavy stuff, and a lot of times you're in a your spine is in a compromised uh, posture. you know you might you might have ten guys and you're carrying a telephone pole and your heights don't match so you might have to stoop down a little bit or bend over or maybe the telephone pole isn't resting directly on your shoulder and you're kind of you know twisting a little bit to support some weight so you know in a perfect scenario if if your vertebrae are all stacked on top of each other the way god created us (laughs) you know you can support all that weight but when your spine you know, when your alignment is uh, is a little bit skewed, that's when you can really really mess yourself up, as I'm I'm sure you know. Right. So, you know what I th- you know what I think you would uh, do better at uh, next year, 2023. W- for the first time, we're going to experiment and do a GTE with no rucking. It's going to be a running based GTE. Ooh. So all of the all the normal team building ruck evolutions that we have. And I just gave one of them away, which is, you know, carry a big heavy log or a telephone pole. Um, so we won't be doing those kind of things. We'll be doing, uh, running team based running evolutions. So
1: maybe that's more your speed. Oh boy. Yeah. That, that sounds somewhat interesting. Yeah. I think, I don't think I should risk it. I'm I'm 56 years old. I don't have anything to prove. I would love to go through it, but if I had a normal back, I would have done one already. But, uh, anyway, that's good advice. (laughs) 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 yeah i'm gonna take heat for that (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) but you can run so that sounds like a good option i can't run fast but i can run how far well, is that? Another
2: thing that we rolled out this year, uh, a brand new event that the Grow Ruck department manages is a thing called the Impact Ruck. And this is uh, similar to like a Go Ruck Basic. It's about a four-hour sort of a mini version of the overnight ruck phase, you know, carrying lighter weight, doing uh, more basic ruck-based exercises, and... Uh, We anticipate that men with injuries will be doing this. So everything is um, potentially modified uh, or scaled, you know, depending on the athlete. So, yeah, I would encourage you to seek out one of these impact rucks and kind of, you know, use that to gauge whether your back would would survive the ordeal of an overnight ruck.
1: That's a good idea.
0: And and those are done right before a, a regular GTE. Is that right?
2: Yes, but uh, next year we're going to have the Impact Rucks as a standalone event as well. Got it. So okay. you'll see both both styles uh, happening.
0: And and the run based ones, um, like like how far do you th- how far do you
2: predict you're going to be running?
0: Uh,
2: I really haven't fleshed that out yet. Uh, pr- probably the the mileage would be somewhere around a marathon, but it wouldn't be all at once. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, It would be comparable to if you've ever done a Ragnar trail, you know, there's going to be a couple of loops and you'll have certain challenges and time hacks you have to meet as a team. Uh, I'm hoping to do this someplace where there's some elevation. So, you know, we'll be sending teams up and down like a ski slope or something like that.
1: Cool. Oh, you just you just lit up dial-up. He's a runner, man. I always love getting
0: this insider information that we get I know, on I these know. Uh, things. Right? This
1: podcast is worth it just for I that. know. We've, <laughs> we've learned a lot of stuff
2: that's
0: coming.
1: You, you want to learn something else? Listen to this. Uh, tell me about this F3 Retreat Grow Camp.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, last year, in 2021... Uh, I put together a concept for the Cadre Academy, and, and I think we mentioned that earlier. You know, this was um, this was a 48 hour event where any F3 man that wants to join the Grow Ruck department and be a, a Cadre event leader, he could go through this training and come out the other side as a qualified, certified F3 Cadre. Uh, 11 guys actually did that. And they're on the F3 Cadre team now. But this this 48 hour course I think is useful to all F three men. It's very similar to my description of ranger school versus the ranger regiment. Think of the, uh, the cadre Academy as, as like F three's ranger school. It's just a leadership course. Anybody can go through it. Mm -hmm. And then, and then with that comparison, the, the cadre team is like the ranger regiment. So, um, uh, so this year in 2022, I tried to repeat the Cadre Academy and, and I just retooled it and called it Leader Course 48 and I opened it up for anybody to apply and go through that and get the equivalent of Cadre training, but then you can use that experience and that knowledge and that confidence to go home to your, to your own region and lead whatever seesaw that your heart dreams up. Mm-hmm. Well... Um, my plan this year failed. Uh, only six guys signed up for it. It wasn't enough to to warrant the the course, and so we decided to uh, roll it to next year, uh, next September. And while that leader course is happening next year in September, uh, where you know we have to rent out this huge uh, farm, an 850 acre farm with a huge obstacle course on there. Uh, the idea is that we'll just simultaneously host F uh, F3 retreat and men can, can show up and just camp out and there's, there's fishing and shooting and, and four wheelers and side-by-sides so they can either just chill and, and conduct fellowship, sit around the campfire at night, you know, eating beans and farting, drinking beers, telling stories, <laughs> looking at the stars or, uh, guys can run the obstacle course. We'll have races, you know, uh, various regions uh, pitted against one another Ooh. for bragging rights and trophies. Uh, and this obstacle course, by the way, is is there's none like it. Uh, it's It's got over 50 obstacles, huge obstacles over seven miles all through the uh, rural Ohio countryside. But then uh so guys can either do the do the fellowship and just chill, or they can go through the leader course forty eight, and then we'll also have a couple of standalone events happening there. There'll be a twenty four hour ruck event. There'll be an impact ruck, uh, and there will also be a GTE happening simultaneously. So all all of these things occurring, uh, all of the all of the guys present will, will all be sleeping under a giant circus tent, you know, out in the field with army cots. We'll be uh, going through the chow line, army style, you know, with a tray of food and sitting together on picnic tables, and um, three hot meals a day provided for for the people that show up. So this event is called Grow Camp.
0: It's like an F three circus. Want-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I've heard of you this school, this yeah. X place. I've heard of it. I've watched. I think I saw their website. I thought about taking us out there at some point, like trying to go out there, but here's our chance. We got to keep our eye on that. Yeah. I like that. That sounded pretty cool. All right. Now just ask you about the cadre Academy. What, what kind of guy uh, is going to make it through cadre Academy? Like how fit do you have to be? You know, tell me about, you know, type of guys that come through that.
2: Well, uh, there's two answers to that. So last year's Cadre Academy, when we were actually, um, for lack of a better word, when we were hiring new Cadre, we were onboarding actual Cadre members. The physical requirements were very, very strict for the leader course, 48, uh, there will be physical requirements, but it's kind of like, um, you know, you kind of train at your own discretion. (laughs) So the, um, the PT test that everybody will take uh, starts with uh, an army physical fitness test, which is two minutes of push-ups, two minutes of sit-ups, and a two-mile run. And then you go into the weight room, and you do a three-rep max of your deadlift, your bench press, and uh, back squat. And then you uh, you do a one-mile burden carry with a 100-pound implement. Uh, then you do a pull-up station and then you top it off with a 12-mile timed ruck march. Oh so that's, that's just to get in <laughs> to, <see> a, <laughs> to the Cadre Academy. Uh-huh. So we'll, we'll probably repeat those that, that PT test for the leader course, but uh, it won't necessarily be a pass or fail standard. It will be more of a self-assessment and kind of know where you stack up yeah. against the other men.
1: Cool.
0: Is the cadre team is uh, comprised of all ex-military?
2: No, uh, and that this was a, a deliberate decision that we wrestled with uh, for some time. The um, as compared to the GoRuk cadre roster, uh, every cadre member for GoRuk has to be uh, a member of some branch of special operations. SEAL, Ranger, Green Beret, Combat Controller, or uh, Marine Raider, Force Recon. Um, no, no questions asked. Like, But with, with F-3, to require that, we really don't have the, the demographic to support it, because very few F-3 men come with that pedigree or with that background. So uh, we made the decision to open up uh the cadre program to any f3 guy that that is deserving um now we did make some requirements of uh um you know character requirements uh recommendations uh examples from their professional career of teaching or coaching that kind of thing but um but yeah we made the decision that okay th- Military experience, military background is not necessarily the um uh, uh the most important requirement. But numerous cadre are numerous F three cadre uh have military experience.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's really neat. I love this stuff that you guys are doing. Yeah. I wish I was 20 years younger. I could I'd be, I be, could do all this stuff. Yeah, I, would,
0: better, I, I, I always enjoy it when you guys do the Facebook Live videos yeah. to, to watch and see what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about, in our region, one of the many things spinning around in my brain is hold having our own little kind of sort of mini uh, ruck challenge. You know, like an overnight, maybe half the night, I don't know, whatever, something like that. Take us through the river, you know get us wet. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of stuff. It's, Cause I, you yeah, know, it's, that's, it's,
2: uh, that's a great thing to do. Uh, wh- and as long as you do it safely, yeah. you know, don't compromise gun safety, uh, especially at nighttime. You know, if you're walking around anywhere, there's vehicles, make sure that you're high vis. <laughs> you want to be seen by those drivers or if you're off the grid somewhere, you know, you've got to have some contingency plans in case somebody gets hurt. How are you getting help? All that kind of stuff. But yeah. And these are also. I'm mentioning this. Um, the, these are also skills that we teach at the Cadre Academy, so that every every person that goes through either the Leader Course or Cadre Academy, they're going home equipped with this safety consciousness, and and they uh, begin to conduct these risk assessments almost as um, second nature.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, our very first seasop we held defib here kept us out of the water because it was <laughs> too cold. He was our little safety officer for that. So. Yeah,
1: I was first in this last time though.
0: Yeah, it was a little warmer,
1: but yeah, it was. It was still cold. It
0: was still cold though. Still but, cold. but you were the first guy in the water though. Yeah. That's true.
1: I guess because I was taking eating a lot of because we was I could mean, say we hear you pretty bad for uh, I know. I know. For All drama. right, uh, last thing I got to You you told me about this thing uh, this this uh, cycling thing that you were doing. Uh, you got to tell me about that. So uh, I'm just going to let you explain it. I could, but you, you explain it. Tell me what you're up to.
2: Okay. Well, this has nothing to do with F3 or or my military career. It's, uh, I came up with this idea to ride my bicycle uh, solo and unsupported. I wanted to ride the farthest distance I possibly could in the Western Hemisphere, so... Um, literally while looking at a globe, I traced the road, uh, in Alaska as far north as it would go to a little town called Prudhoe Bay, which is actually, uh, there's a big oil reserve there. It's an, it's an oil town, but it's right. It sits right on the Arctic ocean. And then, um, on my globe, I looked to see where's the farthest that the road goes, uh, southbound and in Patagonia, Argentina, the road ends in a little town called Ushuaia. So, so I stacked myself up against this challenge and, and I determined that I'm going to, I'm going to ride my bike from the top of the world to the bottom of the world. And the reason for that is kind of hard for me to put in words. Uh, it was kind of like a decompression stop, kind of like a mental health kind of, uh, thing I needed. Uh, uh it might sound corny, but I, I just sort of needed to go walk the earth and spend some time in solitude and clear my head, kind of process some of the things that I went through in the military that I never really, you know, came to terms with. And, um, so yeah, right, right, right before the pandemic hit, uh, I, I flew out of Seattle, flew up to, uh, Alaska. Now my oldest son, uh, he actually joined me for the first 500 miles from Prudhoe Bay to Fairbanks, and then he went home, and then I continued on, and I made it all the way through uh, Canada, the western coast of the United States, Mexico, which was by far the the favorite segment of my whole ride was crossing Mexico from from Tijuana all the way down the Baja Peninsula. I took the ferry across the Sea of Cortez to the mainland and then continued on all the way down through Chiapas and then into Central America. But when I reached uh, Guatemala, Central America, uh, which I hadn't seen since I was a child, I. <laughs> uh, suddenly I saw people wearing, uh, masks and, and, uh, you'd go to shake somebody's hand and they would extend an elbow to you instead of shaking a hand. And I was like, what is going on? This is really weird. I thought it was a cultural thing, but then, um, got in touch with my wife back home in Washington and she said, Hey, uh, are, are you coming home anytime soon? And I was a little bit upset that she would ask me that. And I was like, heck no, you, you know, I'm in this until I reach my, uh, you know, my destination. And she said, well, the, the this was March, 2020, by the way, she said, the president is, is considering closing all airports to, uh, international travel. So if you want to get home, like it's now or never, I had no idea what she was talking about. I didn't realize that there were a global pandemic had emerged. I, I kind of heard rumblings about it, but I thought it was, <laughs> I just dismissed it. I thought it was like SARS, you know, like something happening in China that <laughs> right. didn't affect yeah. uh, North America. But so anyway, uh, I'm probably making this story way longer than it needs to be. Um, I ended up coming home from Guatemala, which was an ordeal. That was planes, trains and automobiles, just trying to get back to the United States. And then my, um, my epic bicycle tour, as I've called it, it went on hold for about a year and a half. And once the, um, you know, once the conditions allowed and once the borders began to open up again, uh, I went back to Guatemala and I resumed my ride, but I was uh, very desynchronized from my, from my original timeline. So, uh, I continued to have border crossing problems as I traveled through Latin America. Uh, and I had to skip um, a couple of countries. I, I, was, I had to skip Panama and I had to skip Colombia. So I ended up flying over those two countries. Um, but I rode through Ecuador and Peru. And um, earlier this year when I reached the border of Chile... Uh, I was unable to cross. Uh, the Chilean land borders are still closed uh, due to COVID. So uh, in frustration, I came home once again, uh, and I still have about 3,000 miles to to finish up this, this journey of mine, which at this point I have spent <laughs> probably five times as much time and five times as much money as my initial estimate, but... It's one of those things like you you've put so much into it you don't want to give up on your on your goal. So
1: yeah.
2: January I'm going back and we will
1: once and for all finish my ride. All right. You must
0: have one massively loving supporting I was wife. I say <laughs> your wife must really
1: understand you <laughs> because that that'd be tough to be away. From. And
0: how how far are you riding every day on average?
2: 75 miles is my average distance. I, I usually shoot for a hundred miles at a pop, uh which is if the train allows I, yeah. I can I can manage that. But uh then there's days where I'm just <laughs> um I might do only twenty or twenty five miles, so yeah, the average comes so far the average has been seventy five. My
0: my brother in law's went west coast to east coast twice. As I'm gonna have to tell him he really needs to up his game. Yeah, better He's up his game. kind of a pansy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Even from the top of the world. you going to the bottom <laughs> yeah. of the world. Yeah,
0: he'll love to hear that from
1: me. Did you run into any bad guys? No. Well, let me let me back up.
2: I did get robbed, and in my own country, of all places. <laughs> uh, so I, when I rode through Los Angeles, I stopped and camped on Venice Beach, and. Um, I don't know who robbed me. It was I was asleep. Um, I'll, I'll confess, I was drunk. Uh, I had a couple too many margaritas that night, and I went to just camp on the beach. So uh, this was a terrible error in judgment on my part to to drink while I'm by myself, and and uh, you know that beach is not very safe to begin with. So somebody rifled through all my bags in the middle of the night while I was asleep and stole all my electronics and my phone and. Um, but I never, I don't know who it was. I didn't catch him and I ended up, um, that was one of my many setbacks. I had to come home and basically get all new gear and then head back out again. Uh, but in Latin America, no, I never ran into any people that tried to do me any harm. It was the opposite. People were so generous and, um, you know that incident in Venice Beach was really a wake up call to me to to not let my guard down. That was such yeah. a stupid thing for me to do. So I did, I did not repeat that mistake. But um never never once did I feel threatened nobody ever harassed me, nobody ever tried to uh steal anything, you know, mug me or anything. So um So yeah, I'm thankful for that.
1: Yeah, it's it's amazing that that you'd go that far, especially when you hear stories in Mexico. Well, 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 hold on. No, wait. For our longtime
0: listeners, like, G-Ray had his bike stolen in (laughs) Sunbury, right? Yeah. So I'm hearing, like, Latin America is safer than Sunbury is what I'm hearing out of this story, right? Yeah, yeah. G-Ray has his bike stolen in Sunbury. Yeah. And you've made it all the way through North America, and you're down (laughs) in Latin America, and no one's stolen your bike yet, so,
1: huh. Yeah. You know, so imagine that, dude. What do you, What do you do for a living? How do you afford all this? Holy moly!
2: Well, I am. I live on my army retirement, uh, and you know, I receive a little bit of uh, disability from the VA, and and then um, you know some side work with GoRuck and the um, the GTEs that I work. You know, all our cadre and all our trainers are paid uh, per event, so that's that helps a little bit. But I definitely racked up some debt on this epic bike yeah, tour. It sounds yeah, sounds like it. Uh, All so. the plane rides
1: and equipment and everything. Holy moly! Yeah. So, how do? What do yeah. you do with your bike when you're getting on a plane? They put your bike on the plane.
2: You have to box it up, uh, and the the bike that I'm riding actually takes two bicycle boxes because it's a um, it's a fat tire mountain bike. I've replaced the fat tires with uh, normal mountain bike tires, but the frame and the forks are, are basically double the width of a normal bicycle. But also my bike is um, it's longer. It's about a foot longer than a normal frame because it's a cargo bike. So, um, yeah, two, two bicycle boxes is what it takes to actually get on a plane with my bike.
1: You know, the bike I would use would have a motor.
2: Yeah, that'd be, You'd be a good, on an that'd be e-bike. A good bike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, next time, that's definitely gonna be my. Uh, that'll be my my way to walk the earth on yeah. a uh, motorized.
1: Did you? Uh, so that, were you successful? Did you exercise your demons out there?
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, uh, it was it was needed, I, and I think all of us need something like this at some point. You know, we need to to. Um, be on that razor's edge, you know. Go go to the top of the mountain, seek some solitude, uh, face some extremes, uh, stare down some danger. I, I think it's important for for people to do this. And uh, but yeah, whatever I was searching for, and I don't really know what that was, but uh, I felt alive and free and enriched. And uh, yeah, my epic bicycle uh, journey was was certainly something that that I needed. And and I think I. To answer your question, yes. I found what I was looking for. I, I, you can see I can't really put it in words. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. At yeah, some okay. point, I'll figure it out and maybe write a memoir or something. I was going to say, you need I, to write
0: a book. Oh yeah, I was going to ask, did you chronicle this in any way or blog it or anything? I'm guessing no.
2: Well, I, I made um, social media posts. I mean, they were inconsistent because a lot of times I didn't have a signal, but... Yeah, if you if you look on my uh, Facebook or on my Instagram under Cadre Daniel, uh, you can see what I call a Dub, the Danny update brief. You'll see my Dubs, <laughs> um, and a lot of times if I wanted to record something for posterity, I would use a voice recorder and I would just talk, you know, talk into my um, into my microphone and just narrate stuff. So I have hours and hours of me just talking to myself, uh, kind of retelling a story that maybe happened or something that played out. And so if nothing else, I could probably transcribe those voice memos into a written document and it would be a the start of, of a memoir anyway.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you should write a book, but you got to spice it up a little bit because then they could make it a movie, you know, somewhere in Guatemala you had to <laughs> rescue some kid and, you know, things like that. Just, just a suggestion. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I could take some artistic license, yeah, and put yeah. some of that stuff in there.
1: Right, absolutely. You get uh, Chris Pratt to play you, just like. <laughs> hey, so what do you think of that? Did you watch? Um, uh, sorry, a little tangent here. <laughs> squirrel, squirrel. Did you watch um, uh, the? Oh my gosh, what was it called? The Terminal List. Have you watched that?
2: Terminal List, Terminal List. I don't think so.
1: All right. Well, I don't no. know. I don't know how much you're into watching. Uh, movies or reading books about, you know, former SEALs who go rogue or CIA assassins and stuff like that. But anyway, it was a, it's a uh, Netflix, I think it was on Netflix, Prime, maybe it was on Prime, one of those. It uh-huh. was a show that uh, was based off a book written by a guy that was an ex-Navy SEAL, and Chris Pratt played him. Anyway, I was thought, if you, if you watched it, I was going to ask you what you thought of it, but you didn't watch it. That's okay, maybe you shouldn't. But it was, well, uh, if it's
2: if it's an action movie, I'm I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I, I like that genre. And um And I like that actor too, but I I always, (laughs) my my favorite character is him on Parks and Rec, just kind of like the goofy guy that you want to hang out and drink beer with.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he kind of grew up like that. I listened to him on a podcast. Actually, the guy that wrote the book that they made the movie from has his own podcast called Danger Close, and uh, he had Chris Pratt on. And Chris Pratt grew up in Hawaii, basically, you know, Drifting through life, smoking a lot of weed, you know all that stuff. So he kind of was that Parks and Recreation guy, but uh, no, it's 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 excellent. I would suggest it if if you if you're interested in that stuff. It was it was really well done. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was good. Um, all right, I'll check it out. Yeah, check it out. So, uh, I got two questions for you. You do you have uh, if you were to pick somebody from your from the past? It doesn't even be somebody who's alive. Somebody in history. Somebody living. Somebody you know that you would say is somebody that uh, sort of uh, inspired you as your sort of hero, your idol, anything like that. Who would you pick?
2: Oh, wow. I, I just have to inform the audience, the listeners. Uh, I asked D-Fib for a read ahead of any. I didn't give you this one. I know. He was going <laughs> to ask me. I didn't did give you did not this share one. this one. So no. so the following answer is off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, that, that's a that's a great question, and you know I'm going to answer it with the first person that came to mind, sure. which is probably I don't know. This might be more sincere than if I actually had more time to think about it. But um, Paul, the apostle Paul in the Bible, there was something about him. You know, as 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 an early Christian, when I first began to study the Bible, there was something that appealed to me about Paul mm-hmm. because. He was all things to all men. He, yeah. he, he would assume the stature of whomever he was ministering to and, and meet that person at their level, whether they were a, uh, you know, an illiterate um, peasant beggar or whether they were, you know, um, royalty. So um, I'm not comparing myself to Paul, but I always thought that versatility in a man where you can. You know, you can sit with uh, with the dregs of society and fit in, or you can sit with you know diplomats and and uh, and civic leaders and fit in. Yeah. Um, I, I value that, I esteem that, and so um, my answer to you is the Apostle Paul.
1: That's a great choice, uh, yeah. And absolutely. you know, and he did it because he loved them, because he wanted to share the gospel with them. And uh, Amen. And Jesus did the same thing, right? Yeah. He hung out with everybody, but um, so that that's you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm glad you said that because I just want to mention this. Uh, remember, Paul before he became a Christian was actually persecuting Christians with zeal. Right. He Said he had all this zeal for it, right? So he was a passionate guy, zealous for what he believed in. You know, he, this dude kind of like the Apostle Peter, right? Just this, you know, guy that's you know sometimes he puts his foot in his mouth, but he's got this huge amount of passion and energy and zeal. And then they encounter they encounter Jesus. And Jesus turns that passion, that that hunger, that aggression, that that zeal, into a force for good. And I think that's what Cadre Danny is. Here is a guy who went out twenty three years. He served our country, Green Beret Ranger, doing all this stuff. You are you are man of passion and zeal, and uh, you know. And God can use the, use you and focus that for as a force for good. And you are impacting the lives of all these men. Uh, that you're uh, influencing through uh, the cadre academy, through the grow rocks and yeah, anywhere else in life. So, uh, so anyway, I want to encourage you with that. That was a great choice. Apostle Paul. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now I'll give you the question I prepped you for. You ready?
2: Yes, sir. All right. (laughs)
1: Uh, This is your chance to speak to the men of America. What message do you have for the men of America?
2: Well, the first thing, kind of a segue from, uh, in keeping with our our biblical theme here, but uh, the golden rule: do unto others as you would have done unto you. That goes so far in a society where people are quick to anger. You know, they're quick to stand up for for their rights, and they're quick to um, put other people down. Um, I, I, I really think there's there's so much simplicity. And, and wisdom in those words from Jesus to to you know love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you want them to do to you. Now the second part of my answer, uh, and I did have some time to think about this. Thank you, Fib is is a little bit rougher. Uh, there's a saying I picked up in the army: you got to live hard to be hard. And I used to enjoy saying that just because it sounds cool, huh. but. You know to 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 live hard. You know to, to weather the storms, to be durable when tragedy strikes, uh, when misfortune happens, when when things uh, hit us sideways in life, and they will, and they have. Uh, so to to face that adversity with with durability, with hardness, and come through it. Uh, that doesn't happen by happenstance. That doesn't happen, um, without preparedness. And the way that we prepare for those things is you have to live it. You have to live through that hardness. You have to have, you know, the discipline of, of, um, seeking challenges that will, uh, improve your fortitude and, and, uh, being around people that, um, that sharpen your sword. So live hard to be hard.
1: Nice. And when you say hard, you don't mean callous, right? You don't be unfeeling, no, insensitive. I, You're talking about being uh, durable and tough, physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's right. Yeah. Very good. Nice message, man. Yeah. So I, I can't. I can't leave without talking. Asking you this though. So you mentioned uh, mentioned your faith. Have you always been a Christian?
2: No, not always. Um, I got saved at age 13 at Teen Valley Ranch, North Carolina (laughs) at a youth retreat. All right. Shout out Teen Valley uh, Ranch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but, um, various, uh, ebbs and flows in my, in my faith journey, uh, as I've walked through life. But, um, I mean, I've, I've never, I've never doubted God. I've never doubted his place in my life. Um, but my, my, my walk isn't always uh, the example I want it to be to others. But, but yeah, but since, since a teenager.
1: Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's great to see uh, guys. I mean, for me anyway, it's encouraging uh, to hear you use the apostle Paul as your example mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and have that kind of faith that undergirds, you know the things that you do and the reason you do it because the why of what we do, why we do things, is is really important. Um, so I, I thank you, man. I really appreciate you. Thanks for all the work you're doing for for the men out there. Uh, I hope to run into you. I hope to I hope to participate in one of these things. You're giving me lots of options now. So I know yeah. Dial-Up's going to do this running uh, thing. <laughs> so uh, he's going to try to talk me into that. Sure thing. So uh, Dial-Up, you got any other any other questions? No,
0: this has been just another great episode and uh, really have enjoyed hearing your your story and journey through life and uh as as you said how, how he's serving guys right now and um leaving no man where he found them you know when yeah. they come to all these events is what, you know kind of what
1: comes to mind right well dial up i think we just spoke to another high impact man i believe you are correct sir danny god bless you man thanks for joining us
2: Hey, thank you so much, gentlemen. I I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you guys. Uh, I I feel a little bit embarrassed to to be in the company of of other guests you've had on your show that that truly are high impact. But uh, I I certainly appreciate this this chance to get to talk with you guys. And you and you better come to a GTE. You better come to the running one. We'll have a good time.
1: All right, man. All right. I'll do my best. I will. I'll be at something. I got to go to something. That's right. All right, Danny. Thanks, man. We love you, man. Say, man. All right. Love you too? See ya.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H I M. At highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.